Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 254 for December 28th, 2022. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about professional conferences. It's coming up conference season 2023. What are they actually good for? So if you're a college professor, go get those first class plane tickets because we know your university is paying for it. (laughs) And also, the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Andrew in California. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Bill, also in California. Hello. And Heather, again, in California. (laughs) Hi, everyone. And I am currently in, I was telling Heather before we started, I think North Carolina. I pulled off on a highway rest stop because I'm on my way back to North Carolina. And I'm pretty sure I crossed into North Carolina a few miles ago, but I was really paying attention to the exit coming up. So here we are. Which state were you in before this? Which state? There's many. Well, South Carolina. South Carolina, okay. and then before that, before that, no, sorry, not yeah, South Carolina, then Georgia, then I started in Alabama on Saturday morning. All right, <laughs> so, man, oh man, global yeah. traveler. I know, right? I had to go back to Alabama for the week because that's where the factory service center for this RV is, and we've just had an issue since we bought it with one of our systems, and I think they finally nailed it. But uh, it took some took some doing to get it done. But I had to take it back to them because they're the experts. So. I notice how you're following the bird route where you you're in the south. <laughs> you don't come up north, right? Like you you heard about that snow stuff in New York, and you're like, now nah, we're going to stay down in Alabama. You know, RVs aren't typically four season. They're uh, <laughs> they're solidly three season, but it really it really takes some doing to make them four season because you'll freeze your lines real easy if you don't have like under bay heating and stuff like that. You'll uh, you'll do some damage. But uh, yeah, and and somebody asked me the other day, they were like, "Hey, how how do you put chains on your RV?" And I was like, "You drive south to where you don't need chains. If you're in a place where you have to put chains on your RD, RV." You're making poor life decisions. <laughs> if you need chains in Alabama, something really strange has happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, seriously, it, even if we get like a freak storm down here, like I just pull over, put my slides out, you know, and, and, and watch some TV or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm home. Like, why? I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, my man. gosh. So, Anyway, speaking of home, why don't we all just stay home instead of going to conferences? That was a bad segue, but that's yeah, I don't know what about we're that going one. to talk about. <laughs> we like conferences. That's why we're not going to stay at home. That's right. That's right. You know, we're going to, we're talking about professional conferences and I guess kind of the, kind of the benefits and, and, and sort of like, what good are they and what do they do for you? And we're not endorsing any certain conference and, you know, we, we may tear down a few conferences, who knows, but the, the point is, we're just going to have a chat about it and, and, you know, maybe why you should belong to them or why you shouldn't belong to them uh, as the case may be. But Bill, this is a topic you wanted to bring to us. So what's, what's the deal here? 
This comes around because I asked a question on Facebook on a couple of groups, the uh, Archaeotechs Forum and North American Archaeologists, about being a member of the professional organizations. And folks that don't know, I've been on the board of directors for the Society for Historical Archaeology for the last couple of years. I got like one more year left on it. And so I've been Hmm. uh, through it, on it, through the pandemic. So you're the one to blame. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) no joke, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I've been watching the whole thing unfold through the pandemic and seeing the the complications that the organizations are trying to have. And in the past, I've been members of a lot of different archaeology organizations, Great Basin, the NWAC, so the the Northwest uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Anthropological, Anthropological. uh and uh, California Society for California Archaeology. And I used to be you know, a member of the Arizona one and Idaho. And so I've, I've been part of several different organizations, small and large. And for the longest time, I also am one of the, I guess, suckers that volunteers on the committees. So I've been part of different committees like the Academic and Professional Training Committee, the Coalition for Diversity in California Archaeology. I've been on several different committees. And like, as someone who has been doing this for a long time, I remember when I was doing cultural resources, so many people saying, well, why are you spending the time on this? Like, why do you even do it? If they don't pay me, then I'm not going to be part of the the professional societies. And, you know, I don't see the use of going to it. It's just a conference, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I feel like I volunteer for those things because I actually wanted the organization to be better. And because there was some stuff that I felt like I could actually help other people with. And so that was the reason why I was part of these organizations, but asking folks online, it was pretty clear that a lot of archaeologists, specifically the techs, don't really see any kind of value, especially with the national or international organizations like right. the SA and SHA. I saw the response was like, it costs too much money and I don't really get anything out of it and I can't ever go to the conference, but like I'll stay part of the local one. And so the the response is like, I felt like I had an obligation to do this, but maybe I was wrong. Maybe other people who uh, you know, realize the economic benefit. Maybe others have a different approach. So I just wanted to talk today about like, what are the benefits we get from being part of these organizations so that, you know, other folks who are listening, maybe they're not a member of the organization. They can hear from people like me who've been doing this for a while. So, you know, what do we get out of being a member of these organizations? Well, I got a question for you, Bill, because this is something I've always heard, but never really knew the answer on. It's more of that uh, anecdotal evidence, but there's three I guess three reasons why I think somebody would go to a conference to try to gain some sort of benefit. One is as a vendor. I mean, I've been a vendor at all the big conferences and there's an argument to be made for, yeah, it works. And there's a big argument to say, no, it doesn't. (laughs) We can talk about that later. So vendors probably get some sort of benefit just because they're selling stuff and maybe they sold things and got some awareness out. The other one is networking, you know, meeting people and talking to people again, to kind of take it or leave it. It depends on what you're doing. If you're a field tech, do you really need to meet and talk to people? Are you going to talk to company owners and get a job out of it? Are you going to talk to other field techs? And, you know, what is that going to do for you ultimately, other than maybe make some friendships? But is that worth $2,000 to go to the SAAs? I don't know, right? And then the third benefit, which I want to ask you about, Bill, is presenting. People always say, oh, you need to present at the conference. And, you know, some people later in their careers, especially CRM, just present to present, right? Maybe, maybe there is some sort of mandate for present presenting in the, in the, you know, the money they got to, to do whatever project, but more likely they're just, their company's paying them to go to a conference if they present and they want to go. So they're going to present so they can get paid to go to the conference. But 
for students, for grad students, things like that, is there really any benefit to presenting at the conference? It's not a peer reviewed journal. It's presenting at a conference, which you can suck really bad at and (laughs) nobody's going to care. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like did, does that do anything for you as a student to present at a conference other than maybe give you the confidence of doing that? But realistically, yeah, you know, that's a huge question, right? Like I didn't, I only volunteered when I was an undergrad at the conference because I wanted to be in a space where everybody who hires the archaeologist, like where all the archaeologists were at. So I just volunteered when I was an undergrad and I never went to any of the huge ones. Like I, I went to Boise State, so I just went to the Idaho conference, which was at Bo- Boise State one year. And I think NWAC was nearby once and I volunteered again, like drove to Spokane or something. Anyway, I didn't present. And when I was a graduate student, the conversation that my advisors were saying was, you know, you need to go to the conference because that's where all the people who hire are at. And and if you want to get this travel grant, then you need to come up with a presentation and they're not really going to, you know, it it looks better if you give a 15 minute talk than if you Mm -hmm. do a poster. And I got no coaching on presenting. So all my early ones, they had to have been absolutely horrible. (laughs) So like, you know, you give the presentation so that you can go as a student. When I was doing cultural resources, I went to once again, be in the same place where all the other archaeologists are at. And, you know, that time I was definitely, you know, listening to other people's presentations and learning more about what's going on in their part of the country and everything. But then once again, all the hiring managers are right there. So that was the benefit. And then the company really wants to see you give a presentation rather than give a poster. So each time it was like the the goal, the presentation was not for me to become, you know, uh, get my credit that I can, you know, apply to the next TED Talk series. It was to be a, you know, kind of vehicle to get the company to pay some of the money for me to go to the conference. Yeah. Yep. That's what I thought. Heather. You know, from a company perspective, you know, my company encourages us to present and it's not just a matter of us presenting so that we can have it paid for. We could probably have it paid for even if we didn't present. Not all companies, I'm sure, go with that line of thinking. Then a lot of companies may not even pay for it. Mm -hmm. But I would say that I definitely think the networking is worth it. There is really very few other opportunities for you to network. But then again, you also have to have the personality that you're going to be able to do that. If you're not the type of person that's going to be able to just walk up to people and walk up to the booths and start talking to people, then maybe that isn't the best way for you to network. You do have to be, you know, have have a, a personality where you're not too shy. But I do think that these conferences are good for that. The networking, I think, you know, like the SCAs, um, Society for California Archaeology, they mm-hmm. do a good job of of putting, you know, some of these luncheons together where they have more seasoned professionals talking to students and they're working with just getting the conversation going in some of these, you know, luncheons or happy hours or whatever. So I, I don't think that the cost of um, conferences have to be all that much. You have to be creative. For students, they're not that much. For an, a beginning archaeologist, they you know they can be, but not if you know maybe you're rooming with other people and just getting creative with it. I would say it's also useful if you're going to move into a certain area to focus. Like maybe like we were talking in my company about you know whether or not which conferences should we focus on. So you know you have a package that a company can 
purchase sponsorship where you do all the lanyards and you have a booth and you really go all out to have a presence at that conference. So you're not going to do that for every conference. You're looking at which Mm -hmm. conference is going to be the most advantageous to do that. And my personal opinion is, is, I mean, I guess obviously it depends on what your business model is, but I think you know, you want to focus on ones that are more regional. When you do these national, you're going to Texas. If you don't have any work in Texas, or if you're a field archaeologist and you're not intending to work in Texas, I would definitely be more strategic Mm -hmm. in which conferences you go to so that the networking makes sense. But we have hired several people from conferences, full-time positions. And we do hire, especially the SCAs, if we, we hired lots of as needed staff, mm-hmm. but we've hired several full time. And that's the one way to really get to know people. When you when you're sitting there, you're having a couple drinks and you're really, you know, interacting. And, you know, a, a lot of hiring people is can you see yourself spending eight hours a day with this person? Yeah, right. And a good way of demonstrating that is at a conference mm-hmm. like yeah. this. You can't do it in an interview. Yeah, I've gotten hired at several conferences, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's, uh, I've got a follow up actually to that, Heather, because something you said was interesting to me regarding presenting for your company at the conferences. Well, we'll talk about that in segment two on the other side of the break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, not archaeological podcast, as our temporary host Andrew said in the last episode. Uh, I'll say that too. I noticed that. I couldn't edit it out either, but. <laughs> well, you should just put your, your voice in there, archaeology. And yeah, I know. It's like currently edited in. That would have been funny. No, I, I changed the name. Okay, that's the new name. I am all powerful. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Right. Got it. Got it. So, okay. Well, <laughs> moving back into episode. 254 here. Heather, I had a follow-up to one of the things you said, because your your company encourages you to present. And I know other companies that encourage their people to present, but I'm still kind of wondering, like, why? why? What's the what's the point? <laughs> Is it now and, and just thinking to thinking logically about this, putting together a, a paper presentation, even if you're not actually writing a paper, because people when they really get into this, they, they actually write fewer papers, I think, and they, they actually just unless you're publishing it somewhere, but you're really right, putting you together present. the presentation. Yeah, because you know the yep. material. Right. You're not up there just like reading. But uh, True. either way, does this just encourage you to really dive in and analyze the research and that benefits you in some other way and it benefits the the, the site or the project or something like that in some other way? Or is it really just kind of keeping your academic brain in a, in yeah. flex? You know what I mean? And it's like going to the gym. <laughs> so <laughs> so I think it's a, yeah. I, I mean, the last part for me, I, I think that that is a big part of it. You know, we work hard at our company to still have this academic perspective on archaeology. Sure. We don't want to put that aside and just be doing CRM. And so because of that, our company is very supportive of us still looking at things from a scholarly point of view. And so not just plain, you know, CRM. And so a lot of the work that we do, you know, we're we're allowed passion projects, we're allowed projects that, you know, we do that there's some portions of it that we kind of eat, you know, cost-wise, sure. so that we can do a a, a really good job at looking at the site that isn't really required from a regulatory perspective, but from a scholarly perspective, and in some ways, some people would say an ethical perspective, we, we are going be above and beyond what we really actually need to do. Okay. The other thing is marketing. So the more that you're, that you're seen as being 
you know, Alva, you know, more, I don't know, just more of a scholarly level yeah. as an archaeologist. Yeah. yeah. Now that definitely, it helps and it's not the only thing, right? There are some companies that they, I think they kind of shoot themselves in the foot because they're just looking at that from that perspective and don't understand that it's a combination of things that make you a strong CRM presence. So the other thing is also that even outside of archaeology, from the environmental firm, the planners, the CEQA practitioners, there are separate conferences. There's business conferences. And so our company treats these conferences, the SCAs and SAAs, as a business conference, just like they would. And they actually see it as like they love the archaeology conferences because they're so much cheaper <laughs> than <laughs> than these larger, you know, planning environmental conferences. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So they they actually are more willing to have a larger presence because they get a lot more bang in their perspective, a lot more bang for the buck. So it's, it's a lot of it's marketing and mm-hmm. supporting us having a more scholarly presence rather than just CRM. Yeah. I, I think also the other thing when it comes to CRM is that no one will ever find out what you did <laughs> if you don't give a presentation because <laughs> it's going to go in some report that'll get hidden in some shippo somewhere and no one will ever know what you yeah. did. Well, that's part of, we're actually taking some of the work that we do and we, we do publish, you know, there's some of us that have published the little, you know, edited compilations, right? Of mm-hmm. papers. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I'm fortunate. I'm sure not all companies are like that, but. Well, I got to follow up to that, but Andrew, let's hear what you got to say first. Oh, I was just going to largely agree with this. I really like Heather's take on the regional conferences. I do think for anyone thinking of going to their first conference or thinking of presenting, I totally think you should do it. I think it's a great rite of passage to have. You don't yeah, have to do the triple A's the first time, the super expensive ones. Do a local one. It's great. I always bully my students towards like, come on, do it. Try it out. Just do one because then you're kind of in the system, you know, and you can say you've done it. The other thing that I would say in terms of the positive side of going to conferences, it's good to get a lay of the land. It's good to see people who are ahead of you, just a step or two, you know, not these Mm -hmm. uh, fabled figures that you see on television or you read in your textbook. (laughs) It's like, here's real people who are maybe two years ahead of you maybe Mm -hmm. four years ahead of you, you know, you'd be like, okay, I could be them in four years. You know, you can bring your, your dreams to the ground level and be, and see the steps forward into how to get better at this stuff. I've had textbooks autographed at uh, conferences by the authors. (laughs) Me too. Me too. I got Brian Fagan's autograph on several. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I think Andrew is spot on because that's what, I mean, well, I was one of your students, right? You encouraged me to do that. It's, you know, just depends on what your background and your life experience is. There's a lot of people that would be looking at these conferences and there's a lot of glorification, a lot of, you know, just hero worship, right? In archaeology. And it makes it feel like it's unattainable. And it's hard for you to relate and think I could be that someday. Then you go to a conference and you see some person reading from their paper and you're like, oh my gosh, I could totally yeah. do better than that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I definitely think it's a really good place to find out where you sit. Well, 
as we go into 2023 at the end of this episode, um, I think this is Andrew's last episode because I just heard Heather say that he's basically distracting to people because of his elevated stature. Um, <laughs> it's true. He's uh, taken away from our primary message. So I, sorry about I, that, Andrew. I'm sorry. Um, I just, it happens when you get so <laughs> important and huge as I am, you know. That's so. right. That's right. I just, don't worry. I'll remember the little people. I will remember them. <laughs> I got to go back to presenting at the conference, though, because I, I've had a thing for a long time now where I'm just like, because I've been to other conferences. I've been to podcasting conferences, which is one of the other bigger industries that I've gone to conferences for. And those are probably 70% networking, 30% sitting and listening to somebody speak. And even the ones where you sit and listen to somebody speak, it's often a panel and there's often like 45 minutes allotted to it with, you know, 20 minutes of the panel and 25 minutes of discussion at the end. And it's very huge on the value side of things. Whereas I've seen so many people in their first, maybe second conference that are giving a paper and the worst thing at like the SAA is a four day conference to have your paper on Saturday or even Sunday. Uh, Saturday, I feel like yeah. is almost worse because nobody's even going to show up to it on Sunday. At least Saturday, some people might go. But the wor- that's the worst thing because you don't spend any time doing anything. They're just sitting outside in the hallway or, or somewhere just trying to finish their paper, right? Like so many people show up yeah. and they're just, they're not doing the conference. They're doing True. this paper so 15 people can hear what they have to say I've and probably that. fight to stay awake while they're doing it. And mm-hmm. it's just... And that goes back to what you said, Heather, about, you know, companies sending people to the conference. And I'm like, man, all the things we try to get companies to pay for, I've had arguments with companies before over like a boot allowance and the types of boots and things like that, like stupid, petty little stuff like that. And then down to something like, do you know how many people I've talked to about when I was basically doing sales for WildNote for archaeology? And they're like, oh, well, this is too expensive, but you'll spend $10,000 to spend to send five people to the SAAs so 40 people can hear their research. Go well, to hell. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, why are My you spending money like that, this? No, I, I, I agree. I agree with you on that. If that's the case, my, my company doesn't do that. Like they're generous across the board. So I hear you. you. Know, maybe that's not the case for, for everyone. I would say one of the things you know, that I've told people is that when you go to the S or whatever, you go to whatever conference, look at who is there. Don't automatically think that this is a really good, you know, company just because they're at the conference, but look at, okay, see who's here, who is investing in trying to get their name out there. Who's investing in trying to find people, right? So that is an investment on a company's part. Then you have to yeah. look a little bit deeper to make sure there's no other red flags. But I think it's a good indicator. If you see if you, if you see companies that, especially if they're investing in a smaller regional conference, I, I think it's a good indicator of maybe they're yeah a company that invests in their people. Well, well, that's not that's real quick, Bill. That's not wrong because when you said that, the first thing that comes to my mind about all the conferences I've been to in the last probably five or six years, the first company that comes to my mind is Far Western. They present mm-hmm. everywhere all the time, yep. and it's just it, they're in my well, brain because of it. You know what I mean? And they're known for having that. We actually we use them as a as an example. They're known. Yeah for having a much more scholarly approach. Yeah. Well, we got 40 PhDs working for them. (laughs) Well, and also, you know, Far Western also has played a huge role in a lot of people in California's career. They've hired a lot of people. A lot of people worked for them. 
mm-hmm. and then they go on to work for other companies and move across the state. So they, they are really invested in the state and in the region. Yeah. So they're a good yeah, example of yeah. a company that does it right. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. you know, I, so maybe we should take this up in segment three because so far the value is coming from the locals, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the regional and the state. By what far. do we get out of the what do we get out of the triple A's? What do we get out of the SAA and the SHA? Like what, what are we getting out of the huge international ones? Yeah. I have a very short answer to that. I would say um whenever one of those big ones is near you, just go and yeah. don't be a member. Yeah. Just sneak in. I've done that like a hundred times, <laughs> and I know you're like, have you no shame? But no, I don't have any shame because they cost yeah, hundreds of dollars. So I am the I am the master of like showing up for a single day. Yeah, I'm going to miss the plenary session. Oh, I'm going to miss the silent auction. I'll, I'll get over mm-hmm. it, you know, but yeah. I just go in. I make my connections. You know, I talk to my friends. I go see a few talks and then I'm gone. And I just yeah. I highly mm-hmm. recommend doing that. Don't don't worry that you haven't paid. Just go in. You're an archaeologist. You belong there. Yeah, but the SAA has got guardians now. And, you know, it's also a good idea to have guardians because then the ancient aliens folks all show up with, you know, uh, <laughs> aluminum foil hats and, and protest signs about real science and stuff. So I, I haven't seen that. Yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, because yeah. there's guardians at the conference that keep them out. Right. So. They never kept me out. <laughs> well, you must have taken off your aluminum foil hat temporarily. They couldn't see who you were. No, I wore it with pride. I may go to the next SAA just to see Michael Balter walk Graham Hancock out of the building because I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. So, uh, um, Graham Hancock, how's he going to get in? Uh, well, you know, he's going to get in the way I was going to mention, which is with you Andrew? can get with Andrew personally. Yeah. I mean, he's just going to walk right in with him. But that'll be your yes. personal guest. You know, your plus one. If funding is an issue, you can get with a buddy because they're not going to say anything, whether it's male, male, female, female, they don't care, right? Um, because it's anthropology. Uh, everybody's accepted. So, but I'm pretty sure you can still get like a spouse in or a like domestic partner for like 25 bucks. So, well, you know, you, you, you may be able to, however, if you're my wife, you will know that if there's an archaeology conference, like that's the one place to stay away from. And like, no, no, no. You know, I'm talking about two field techs just going oh. in and saying, that's my partner. <laughs> all right. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's, let's talk about some other conferences and possibly even some international ones on the other side of the break in segment three, back in a minute. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business like that. Let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That counted up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome back to segment three of the Sierra Mark podcast, episode 254. And we're talking about conferences, professional organizations. So we started talking about this at the end of the last one. The SAAs is coming up in Portland in, I don't know, usually April. I don't know the exact dates, but it's usually April or the end of March sometimes. And SAHAs is going to be in like a week and a half from the date this is released. So, you know. And it's going to be in Portugal too, which is a bigger investment <laughs> yeah. than Portland. Right. A way bigger investment. Right. That is one other thing that I will say that maybe the big conferences get you is I have gone to cities that I've never gone to for any other reason other than there was a conference there. 
And if you can get out of the conference and maybe see some of the city and do some of the stuff around there, you know, I mean, you can do it for a lot cheaper than going to a conference, but maybe you can get another extra benefit of going to the conference by getting to visit that city and, and going there. I've never been to Portugal. I was going to go to the SHAs. Our plans changed, so I'm not going to go anymore, but I was really looking forward to that. And the SHAs was a good catalyst for saying, hey, let's just go there and do this at the same time. Yeah. And I, I hear that um, Lisbon, Portugal is nothing like St. Charles, Missouri, <laughs> where you get that snowed in. And, you know, yeah, exactly. You can, you know, eat at, uh, gosh, what was that restaurant that was like the only uh, thing in the parking lot? I can't the even The only remember. one open. Everything else was closed because it was oh, like snowpocalypse. Man. It's it's such a, con- <laughs> I love it too. It's a great restaurant. I can't remember. It has a, uh, it's a something country kitchen. I can't remember. What yeah, it is right I now. don't know. I don't know. I love that it. Was- they don't really have them in California, but I love them. Cracker yeah, Barrel, that that's it. Cracker Barrel. Was it a Cracker Barrel? Oh, yeah, man. three squares yeah. at Cracker Barrel, man, because you're just going in. Okra. So what else are you going to do, right? Fried okra. Fried okra. Yeah, I love, I it. love it. Okay. But <laughs> nice, I mean, like nice. the international ones, because that's the, that's the thing, right? Like <laughs> the idea is that you would, that if you're going to get to the networking thing, the big one is where everybody's at. If the regional one is where all the regional people are at, the big one is where everybody's at. So, you know, is it, is it worth it for you to spend multiple thousands to go to that one? And then also what does being a member of the huge ones actually give you, right? If the regional one's going to give yeah. you connections to people who are going to hire you, what does being a member of the SAA or the AAA, like what, what do you get from that? Right. You don't even get their, their, uh, what is it? Their, their like classes they do throughout the year. They're like webinars and stuff like that. Even those for members. Yeah. Are those like cost money. yeah, yeah they they're cost. not free for members. I don't know. I don't know what you get. And I think they got a lot of, I think they think they have a lot of benefits, all these committees that are supposed to be doing everything and, and, you know, the journal and all that stuff. But if they've got a lot of benefits for people, for people, they don't do a really good job of selling it, you no. know, and telling you why. You well, know? and I would tell you that the journal, yeah, that's definitely a huge benefit, but you can go to the library and get it right. I mean, yeah, totally. if, you, if you're a member yeah. of the county library, you can ask for it. it. I remember when I was living in Seattle, the city library there, definitely in Tucson, mm-hmm. the Tucson public library system has historical archaeology that you can, mm. you can ask them and they'll send them to yeah, you. You cool. don't even have to go downtown. They'll just send it to your local branch. Nice. Yeah, I would just agree. And I would say that the the big meetings are the worst bang for buck of all of them. You mm-hmm. know, I, I wouldn't even bother. But I will say you can get great ones if you look a little like one of my very favorite meetings is the Belize Archaeology Symposium, which is international, mm-hmm. but it's small. So you go to Belize, you go to this local meeting, the actual cost of getting in is completely reasonable. And it's a fantastic yeah. meeting that I, I love because it's everything I need and nothing I don't, you know. So I just yeah. want to give a shout out to those guys. They do a fantastic job. And then I love the super local stuff, too, as we talked about before. Not only do I, I like the California meetings, they even do data sharing meetings that are even more local and smaller. And those are fantastic ones. That's what yeah. I was just going to say. Data sharing. You, you can go to data sharing meetings and many times those have no costs at all. And they're just a daytime. Yeah. You're talking about from the SCA, right? Yeah, Yeah. they are. They're pretty cool. Oh, they don't have other. Well, so if you're in California, I highly recommend those. That's a good way to get your foot feet wet. But I mean, as someone who's on the board of directors at the SHA, you know, I don't really know what to say because I've been an SHA member for a long time, probably 20 years now. And Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, I've published in historical archaeology. I've collaborated with other people who are historical archaeologists that are, you know, in the organization. 
I mean, some would say you get out of it what you put into it. However, I can tell you from experience, it depends on who, what you put in and where you mm-hmm. put it and, you know, who you are doing <laughs> the putting with, because you can yeah. put in a whole bunch of effort in some of these groups and some of these parts of the, the major organizations and get absolutely nothing. In fact, be even more defeated about the purpose of archaeology after interacting with these folks on these committees than, than you did, you know, beforehand. And the mm-hmm. other thing too is like, the organizations that I'm seeing are they're, they're so conservative. They are deeply entrenched in a way that they've been doing it for 20 or 30 years. And if you think that giving service to these bigger organizations is going to change anything in archaeology, like you're, it'll take you 30 years to get even like minimal changes, right? Like to even to get to the point where you record your own 15 minute presentation that you created yourself and paid the organization to, and then upload that to the organization's YouTube. Like that there is already like such a crazy concept that they, they won't do it. I think I can't even remember in Seattle, Chris and I and uh, Doug recorded a panel and it was like a huge thing to, to do that and to get it on YouTube. And that was like, you know, 15 years ago, man, like it's crazy how these guys, they refuse to do anything different. The, the um, diversity and the other things that I've been part of, man, it's just like, it's like pushing a boulder up the steepest mountain to get them to even (laughs) think about changing anything with the organization. You have a way better chance at the locals or just within your company alone of changing the work culture and, you know, moving towards diversity and inclusion than you do working with any of these ones. And the bigger the organization, the more dinosauric it's going to be. Well, and I hadn't really intended to talk about this, but it seems like it's coming up. So Andrew mentioning the Belize conference, right? And you do see some of those more hyper-focused I guess, meetings, conference may be too big a word for some of these things, but meetings, gatherings of people, right? Where they're, they're focused on a single topic. And sometimes depending on the size of your state, that just might be your state conference. Like Nevada, the Nevada conference is largely focused around, you know, mining. (laughs) There's a lot of mining stuff, the historic mining that happens at the Nevada Archaeological Association conference. Sure. There's prehistoric stuff as well, but man, is there so much mining in the state? So it ends up kind of being a focused discussion sometimes, not intentionally, but sometimes it just happens that way. But that's why through Culturo, the thing that we put together a little while ago, Tristan and I, the other co-founder of the network, Culturo is the parent organization we put over the top of this so we could do other stuff that was not necessarily archaeology related. But we had our first, we called it a Culturo share. And it was a couple of weeks ago. Actually, as we're recording this, it was in the beginning of November. And... It was hosted by Matilda Siebrecht, who's one of the hosts of our other shows. She lives in Germany. She brought together three people and they each had about, it was about 30, 35 minutes a piece, but she started out doing a little mini interview with them. They had about a 10 minute presentation and then we had questions and answers from the people assembled and we had about 99 people signed up. Uh, I think that was the most that we had uh, at one time. And it was great. They all had very different topics, but it was all around the idea of ancient crafts. And that's what we're doing quarterly and hopefully monthly at some point in the future when we can really get our we get our crap together here. But I want to have these monthly things. It's a couple hours long. And uh, this one was about three hours, but it was a couple hours long with Matilda's portion of it and just three different people. And then for the third 
hour, basically, it was me basically interviewing the three of them and them asking each other questions as well. It was a real sharing event where they got to learn from each other, talk to each other. We got questions that we had that were voted on by the by the people that were listening. They could you know put their question in the thing and like upvote it in case we didn't have time. But it was just really engaging and we want to continue to do those things. I'd love to have Bill on talking, you know, certain topics in historical archaeology. I'd love to have Andrew on talking, you know, Belize, bring on a couple other Belize scholars, you know, and, and have a thing and have it be different than a regular conference. And that's what I, I wish it. the conferences really were, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But anyway, my other point with all this, too, is, you know, we're, we're just complaining. We constantly complain about conferences, how ineffective they are. And with very few exceptions, most of the people that operate these conferences are also archaeologists. Right. Well, yeah, they've gotten but, there in some way or another. So well, yeah, my point but, is get up in the system and see if you can change it. Yeah, I've been in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and nothing's changed. <laughs> well, I can just see where the clog is. That's all there is to it. You know, it's like, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, are there tree roots growing in your pipes out front in your yard? Yeah, I can see them through the, yeah. the fiber optic thing. I can see where they're at. Now, how are we going to get them out of there? Because, you know, at the at the beginning and end of the whole thing is money, right? Because the, sure. the organization, they depend on this conference to bring in the revenue to actually have the magazine and have any of the organization, right? And they've been doing the conferences since the 70s, since the 60s. They have an idea. It's predictable. They know what's going to happen. They have a pretty good outlook on like, the, the, the finances of how this thing's going to unfold mm -hmm. and they've been doing it for a long time and anything that could possibly like having cultural talk series is that were free and well, you know, attended and well advertised to me, that would be something that builds the reputation of the organization and makes people want to go to the conference, right? Because yeah. you see these three scholars, they're talking, they're going to be there at the conference. And so you have them kind of introduce like, you know, a, a conversation that the, knowing that they're going to have a panel and that you can actually see this go further or you can see their, you know, like to me, that's an advertisement that makes me want to see these scholars. But that mm -hmm. whole idea is scary because it'd be like giving the thing away they think they're selling at the conference for free. And so yeah. that it turns into like this huge conversation. There's also all these ideas about like that it has to be these crazy super well-produced recordings that if it's not professionally done, it's not good enough. It's not and these webinars that they're doing for these conferences. They're not professionally produced, man. No, like the stuff that's not. going on YouTube is not professionally produced. It's archaeologists doing it themselves and it still gets thousands of views. And so just like being in there, man, it is so hard to get any form of different idea whatsoever to happen like at all. That yeah. you're just better off starting your own thing, Chris. I mean, the Society of Black Archaeologists, we yeah. just started our own thing because you can't get anything done in any of these organizations. And so going back to like, what do you get out of it? You get a sweet magazine. You get a chance to hang out with other archaeologists. That's what you get out of it. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yep. And real quick before we get to Heather, the the international aspect of it when it's completely virtual and everybody knows that. Yeah, sure. It was early on a Sunday morning because our host is from Germany, but our three presenters were from, I can't remember where, somewhere in the Midwest, I think Tennessee, not the Midwest, so the East, I think Tennessee. And then another one was from Ireland and another one was in um, Israel. That's where our three presenters were. And people that were attending were from around the world. I mean, literally around the world. So it was awesome. a, it was a great Very little cool. Sunday morning thing. Yeah. So I was just going to say that I think that if, if, which some of the 
comments that Bill has made <laughs> makes me think that they wouldn't do this. <laughs> but if these boards, you know, for the associations were brave, they would have an open panel of how do we make this conference better and really involve all the people that are attending and and really have an and not just like the business meeting, but make it a panel, an interesting panel and bring together, you know, all these surveys that they send out. Nobody does them like people aren't really, yeah. you know, responding to them. So like to actually have something that's interesting and and have an open concept where people can just start, you know, throwing out ideas if there's enough out there, I mean, I always thought, you know, we could do it ourselves, right? And have our own panel, but they may not approve it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of would have, I would think. No, I mean, they, they, their idea. Uh, Heather, they would approve it if you, if you proposed it and did it and organized it yourself, they would, they would approve it. Okay. Because it fits into their existing system, right? It's if you try to do what Chris is doing, something that takes you out right. of what's already known, right? Into a zone where, the the rest of the world quite frankly is already way ahead of anyway but you know it would be it would be something that would take them away from what they've already known that's what they're not going to do yeah no i get i get that i'm trying to kind of go in the middle and try to see if if something these, these conferences are always going to be here they're not going to disappear so you know how can we i don't we make- know about that i mm-hmm. don't know about that because you know like i said the financial thing right if people stop Joining, so basically, if none of the field techs see any value in the SAA and it's all just professors and we're not mm-hmm. having any professors and we're not having any graduate students, then who the hell is going to be a member of the SAA anymore, right? They're not getting any value out of it. So people just stop going to it. And if that happens, then there won't be conferences. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, I just, I'm, I could see, yeah, I could see that happening long term, like. But a well, lot has to happen before then. And I don't know. I'm not willing to completely give up on them because I do think there are certain aspects that happen at the conferences that cannot happen on an online forum. You just there's something yeah. you can't replace with a eye to eye, you know, talking to people right in front of you. You just can't replace that. You can't replace be, having a conversation. Then Joe and and Bill come walking up. And hey, you know, you you just you can't replace that. And so I do think for that purpose, the conferences are, are, you know, alone are very useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do agree with that. Totally. Well, I'll just leave you guys with one thing, because things are definitely changing in that sort of attitude. Right. And we're all in the attitude of, yes, we agree with that. I do enjoy face to face interactions as well, although there's host there's people i know on this network i've been working with for over 10 years that i've never physically met before still and yet we still manage to accomplish a lot of things get a lot of stuff done mm-hmm. and and keep things moving forward but the new generation of people that's coming up you know i know some people in their in their early 20s and they never make phone calls anymore to their people they know they do facetime they love the video calls things yeah. like that people are used to zoom we we proved for 2 years that you can actually get business done on Zoom. <laughs> it was a pain yeah. in the ass, you, you but we can, proved that yeah. you can do it. <laughs> I agree. I agree, Chris, but I'll tell you, I've seen the ugly side of Zoom too. I've yeah. seen oh, people sure. turn into monsters at, at work because there's something different <laughs> about the personal interaction. Yeah. And it, you're, you're implying that the SAS for the last few years has gone swimmingly well, right? Yeah. No, it hasn't, no. right? Oh, like, of course like not. Shit no, still no, no, happens. no, I'm not. 
I'm just saying it can we need to have a combination of both. Yeah. We can't go one yeah. or the sure. other because if we go, I'm telling you, I just I've seen it, I lived it. Andrew and I have talked about it offline too. I'm yes. telling you off what it has done to the interpersonal skills of people in the workplace has been tragic. Yeah, so true. And, right. right. And yeah. as someone who I fe- I fe- I absolutely agree with you, and I think that we can actually make the conferences better and drum up more support and interest in the professional yeah. organizations yes. if we mix the two yes, formats. Right. If we yeah, have totally. much more, right. you know, uh, some forum like basically if you just use the online thing as the advertisement for the big getting together, right? The big yes. meeting like that to me is the the strategy, right? That you build up interest throughout the entire year. You know, you give teasers of what's going to be there and then you deliver when they get there. Yes. Then it actually turns into something like you got all the networking, everyone's together in the same place. You're sharing ideas and all that stuff. Plus you're actually excited to go there because you've already seen several different things. And when we get together, we're going to work together on this one thing. And it, it works out because we're all eight of us are in the same room, exactly. right? Like mm-hmm. we've all yeah. worked across the year. Now we're all going to be in the same room. We're going to share. We're going to work together through this thing that we've been thinking about all year. And, and now it turns into this different kind of thing. You've got the traditional presentation. You've got the thing that Andrew was talking about. You've got the information center thing that's all together. And you've got more people than ever before because they've now folks who are on the fringe on the fence about coming well, all their people are going to be there and they don't want to miss this. Mm-hmm. So they're going to go all the way to Portugal. It turns into a true think tank. Yeah. And that's what these conferences yeah. should be. They should be uh, think tanks. Well, I tanks, wish they were. But they're not. And that's, yeah. that is the one last thing I'll say before we end here too, is that's, that's what I was trying to lead towards, even with this cultural share thing. I mean, there's no networking with the culture of share. I can only have four people on the screen at a time. People are having a chat in the comments, but that's not networking, right? It was a little right. bit, actually. We put some people together, which was kind of cool. But the conferences need to understand what they're for. When you ask yes. anybody why they go, it's not to present a paper. And it's not to listen to a paper either. It's to go there and network and talk to other people that they don't see very often. So these big conferences should acknowledge that everybody's showing up, have more parties, more workshops, and more smaller get-togethers with people that are interested in similar topics so they can actually get something done and benefit from being in the same room together. You should never go to a conference to present a 15-minute paper to four people. That's just stupid, (laughs) yeah. you know, and those four people already know what you're going to say because they're probably work with you and they probably are in the same industry. You're not telling anybody anything they don't know. So, well, people, you know, a lot of people do that to pose. I mean, I've, I've seen, I've seen people post on whatever Uh social media. Oh, I just gave it It was well received. I'm like two people. I mean, but of course they never, (laughs) you know, they never show the picture from the back of the room with everybody filled. Right. The social media thing yeah. anyway, you know, like that thing gets kind of out of yeah. control as we all know. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it's all performative acting yes. that yes. you're using right. this platform yes. to send a message. Right. So. Yep. All right. Well, with that note, go sign up for the SHAs if you haven't already. It's in a week and uh, I'll go be there. Come, for come the meet app. me. I'll hang out. I'll be I'll actually be there. We can have a think tank together in, in Portugal. There you go. There you go. Maybe you're listening to this on the plane to Portugal. And then then the essays. They they still have that. 
<laughs> the SAAs are in Portland, I believe. They still have signups for yeah. that. So if you want to go to I'll that, I'll be there too. Other ones. Well, there you go, Bill. Um, yeah, I'm going to them all. I'll be all over. I'm going to the SCA too. It's in Oakland. So it's like touching. Yep. That's your, uh, I'll be there. That's your state funded Berkeley money right there. Putting a good Ooh-wee. use, Californians. All right. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> which means Andrew, Andrew won't be there because they don't put money into the community colleges. So, all right. So, if there's ego massage and they tell me I'm right all the time, I'm there for sure. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, guys. Well, thank you for a, for a good 2022. We had a lot of, a lot of fun episodes this year and uh, looking forward to more great stuff in 2023. And with that, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye. Happy New Year. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Come.